Gotham Sound is your one-stop audio solution for microphones, mixers, recorders, podcasting, and wireless. Whether you're looking to rent or buy sound equipment, are working at a church, feature film, a television show, podcast, theater, or a student project, Gotham Sound is here to serve you. With a huge selection of new and used gear, it's your first stop before you buy. Gotham Sound has the pro audio you need to make your project sound true professional. Gotham has been around for 18 years perfecting pro audio. Visit us at GothamSound.com. Tribe Signs was designed in 2010. We started operations as home and office solutions specialists and have since established ourselves as a trusted brand all over the world. We have worked with some of the world's best designers and manufacturers to bring a curated selection of beautiful furniture to thousands of happy customers across America. Visit us at tribesigns.com. It's Messiah Community Radio Talk Show. This is Michael James Lauren, your host. We have a special guest, Dr. Marty McCary, who is the author of The Price We Pay, What Broke American Healthcare and How to Fix It. He's a Actually, very notable, very highly esteemed, and a Fox News contributor as well. Welcome to the program. Great to be with you, Michael. Our sponsors with over 90 years' experience in developing audio electronics. Bayer Dynamics stands for innovative audio products with the highest sound quality and pioneering technology. Two business divisions, consumer and installation, provide tailored solutions for professional and private users. All products are developed in Germany and primarily manufactured by hand. From headphones to microphones and conference and interpretation systems. For more information, please visit north-america.bayerdynamic.com. And by Vocal Booth To Go carries a complete line of products and accessories specifically designed for voiceover actors, audio professionals, podcasters, producers, and studio owners to help them get professional results for their clients. It's your go-to place for sound treatment, soundproofing, portable, and mobile vocal booths. Visit VocalBoothToGo.com for more information. And Oralex Acoustics has one mission. To make you sound your best, thousands of satisfied Oralex customers have experienced improved acoustics along with free expert advice, total sound control products from Oralex. Enjoy widespread use among prominent artists, producers, engineers, and corporations worldwide. Remember, it's not your gear, it's the room. Visit Oralex.com for more information. And great audio starts with great gear. And Zoom's 30-year reputation promises quality and affordability. Visit zoom-na.com today for recorders, audio interfaces, effects pedals, and more. We're Zoom, and we're for creators. So do you know the nursery rhyme, a Humpty Dumpty? <laughs> it fell off the wall. <laughs> you know, all the king's horses, we couldn't put Humpty Dumpty uh, back together again. So, you know, here you come in and you are a resounding advocate and voice for the broken American healthcare system. And so I have to ask, though, because, you know, you were wildly successful at what you do, but something got inside of you to be able to be a sounding board to let everybody know that the system's broken. <laughs> well, I think... When you're when you see the sort of socialization of medicine, how you become conditioned to just accept things that we should be offended by, you know, it's sort of like, um, you know, growing up in central Pennsylvania, my youth pastor told me, 
when you see sin at any point in your life, you should be offended by it. That's normal. You, you shouldn't just be conditioned to just accept that's the way it is. And with medicine, there's so many things broken. I mean, look at the system that we have today. You come in for 10 minutes. We tell you as, as a doctor, we'll tell you, eat better and exercise more and then take these meds, come back in a year. And then we tell you you're a bad non-compliant patient. The, the whole system is broken. <laughs> the doctors don't like it. The patients don't like it. We've got to redesign care. Yeah, you mentioned that you know we're treated kind of like uh, I don't know. I think you mentioned something like if you were in high school and you stole someone's chocolate milk, and <laughs> they yell at you, they'd say, "Hey, hey, you're outside of the system. The uh, you know, you're not in the uh, what do they call that? The program. Um, <laughs> you're not in the network." Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, we have these artificial constructions like a network. Why do we even have networks? Why do you have a network? The network is the firefighter and the arsenic, both. It's the the boogeyman and the hero that's going to save you from the boogeyman. Because if you're outside the network, guess what? The solution is you need to be a part of the network. We don't need networks, okay? We just need good, honest bedside medicine by great physicians. We've got that. We've got to get back to how we started medicine and restore the public trust in the profession. Well, look at the advantage or the leverage, okay, Dr. McCary, that uh, hospitals have, or I should say the healthcare system really has. Um, well, we're only talking about life or death, you know, those two things. So that's a little bit of leverage, right, where people can say, uh, you know, we're going to raise the prices, uh, the premiums, or, um, you know, yeah. was there a point in your life, that a tipping point where you said enough is enough? Because not everybody really benefits from from speaking up. Well, you know, I had a cousin who <clears throat> was sick. We went to the hospital. I went with her because I work at the hospital. People didn't know that I was one of the senior surgeons there. And the way that they treated her was so, so <laughs> out of control. I mean, mm -hmm. first of all, she checks into the emergency room and they treat her like some derelict in society, you know, because they don't take her insurance or she didn't know what her insurance was. They treat her like a fugitive of the law. It's like when hospitals were built, most of them were built by churches. Just look at the names of them. And many of them were built by philanthropists and donations. And they were there to be a safe haven, a refuge for anybody, regardless of their religion. I mean, the beautiful nature of hospitals is sort of like what I remember of our church growing up. It was open to anybody. It didn't matter who you were. It was a safe haven. It was a refuge. And hospitals have really come full circle now with the corporatization of medicine. And I think that's something that we as nurses, doctors, as the public can say, hey, wait a minute, we want to get back to the root of how, why, the, why we uh, set up our hospitals and went into medicine. Now, you really believe this could be changed. I mean, it's uh, and how are you? I mean, do doctors get mad at you or they say, yeah, tell them, Dr. McCary, uh, or do they you know, hey, you know, you're rocking the boat. Did you ever get any pushback for this? Well, I would say that a lot of doctors are frustrated out there. And I've gone, you know, through many media channels to speak up on these issues. And I, I, to be honest with you, it's affirming when I get messages from nurses, doctors, people around the country that just say, thank you for speaking up on this. Nobody is speaking up on this. Right now we're talking about, um, the transgender uh, surgery issues. You know, I'm a surgeon by clinical training, and you know, no one is talking about how normal, um, regular, normal um, 
gender confusion is a part of regular child development. Okay, that's a normal part of ch child development is some degree of gender confusion. To all of a sudden tell people now we're going to do you know a, a, an operation and all you need is this little note from a psychiatrist. Nobody is speaking up on these issues. Mm. We need someone to speak up on these issues. So I do get a lot of affirmation, but at the same time, you know when I, when I'm critical of our public health officials during COVID. Um, to be honest with you, a lot of people are politically entrenched and they immediately say, wait a minute, are you of my political party or are you one of their, are you on their side? Right. And there's this attempt to label everyone. And the reality is I'm, I'm not a partisan. And, and so you do get some people who are frustrated. Anytime you write a book or go on television, 45% <laughs> of the 45% of the public immediately hates your guts. <laughs> right. Right. And you but you know something people really like having you on. I mean a Fox News contributor nationally and CNN and uh you know CNBC NBC, everything. Any chance you'll run for president? No. <laughs> no. no. I um I've had look I've got a lot of friends in Congress and in elected officials. I've got a good friend right now running for governor in Virginia, Glenn Youngkin. I'm excited about him. But uh no, I think, you know, I personally love what I'm doing now. I feel like Fox has given me a great platform. The Wall Street Journal's given me a great platform. I've got a great social media group of influencers that love to disseminate a lot of the stuff I put out there. So I love what I'm doing. I do a lot of speaking at conferences. I can't imagine doing anything differently. Uh, when you run for office, you do get people who walk up and you know, yell expletives at your face when you're just having dinner with your family. Yeah. Oh, so, right now, I'm very content. Yeah, and you mentioned that too—that the you know the uh, occupational hazard of being a doctor. People just kind of randomly that you meet at a party, they start sharing about their rash. <laughs> and uh, you said you have these like unofficial—I uh, don't know—they send you these things about their health uh, lying around, and and uh, and some guy that you you knew you recognized him from somewhere, and you say, "Wait a minute, hey, that's the diarrhea guy." He was telling me about <laughs> diarrhea. Right. My goodness, you know, you never get a never a dull moment. But uh, but this is really a sacred type of message about, again, the book is called The Price We Pay. Dr. Marty McCary, our special guest, what broke American healthcare and how to fix it? Because again, people are, are trembling at the system, just the thought of, uh, of healthcare and, and premiums. And, uh, you know, people don't know what to do. I think many people are paralyzed. We've got to do things differently, Michael. We need to start asking, can we talk about cooking classes to treat diabetes instead of just throwing insulin at people? Can we talk about addressing sleep by um, treating the stress and dealing with managing that stress? Can we treat the epidemic of loneliness, which has been magnified during COVID, by building communities instead of just throwing antidepressants at people? We've got to get at the underlying causes that bring people to care instead of just reacting. We have a reactionary system. For example, in my own field of cancer surgery, we only learn the chemotherapy protocols. We should be talking about the environmental exposures that cause cancer. We should be studying them instead of just designing new chemo in the lab. So there are so many issues right now where we are not talking about the way we should be addressing it by treating the whole person. For example, if you have back pain, maybe we should do more physical therapy and treat it with ice rather than just surgery and opioids. Um, when people come in with um, a bill that they can't afford, 
look at the healthcare system, assault them. Look at what we call now the financial toxicity of mm. care. That is, people come in for care with good intentions, and they uh, hospitals engage in price gouging of people at a time when they're vulnerable and predatory billing, even suing them in court sometimes. These are things that we can fix, and we're leading a movement to fix it, and we're winning right now. Yeah, thank God. We'll yeah. talk about what else is going on. What's broke with the American healthcare system? Our special guest, Dr. Marty McCary. The Price We Pay is the name of the book. More, we're going to learn a lot right after this. Sennheiser has been continuously setting trends in the audio industry. Wherever people care passionately about recording, transmitting, or playing sound, Sennheiser will be there. Artists, disc jockeys, scientists, sound technicians, or demanding music lovers, the Sennheiser name always stands for premium products, headphones, microphones, and all-around audio solutions. The ultimate in sound quality. Sennheiser. Ocaso builds high-quality, extremely affordable action cameras that enable our customers to capture dynamic moments in life and share their world of difference. In less than nine years, Ocaso has become one of the leading action camera brands worldwide, with sales of over a half million units annually. There's a world out there to explore and enjoy while capturing every thrilling experience. Ocaso's mission is to inspire and empower more people to join, enjoy, capture, and share the fun of exciting outdoor sports visit acasotech.com back with dr marty mccary he is a doctor of course and uh and uh you know could you just tell us a little bit about you because you're you're an esteemed man but uh you've been at the john hopkins for quite a while yeah i've been fortunate to have a, a nice run at johns hopkins i was born not too far from johns hop or actually i was uh, raised not too far from johns hopkins and uh, central pennsylvania where i was my entire childhood small town called Danville, and um, saw my father, who was a community hematologist at a hospital called Geisinger. He would take care of people with leukemia and lymphoma, and then they would come up to him in, in the town all the time and just give him a hug and thank him. And I'd see people in tears sometimes. And I would say, Dad, w what's that all about? And they'd say, well, I took care of her dad uh, 10 years ago before he passed away. And she just wanted to say thank you. And you see something beautiful like that. That is a relationship. That is what is great and sacred about the medical profession at every level. And so uh, that's what I was attracted to. How can you not be attracted to that growing up? I uh, <laughs> went to school in the Northeast and then had the opportunity to join the faculty at Johns Hopkins. And just to mention, too, that your book, The Price We Pay, it won the Business Book of the Year by Association of, uh, uh, excuse me, I edit that out, by Association of Business Journalists. So, uh, you know, you're also a New York Times bestselling author, but you love doing this. It seems like it, this is your calling. I mean, to tell everybody how to take care of yourself, how to protect yourself, how to, it, it's almost like, can you think of any other business where you purchase something and you say, how much is it? And they say, I'll let you know later. <laughs> yeah. People are coming in asking for, a, you know, very reasonably, how much is this going to set me back financially? And hospitals have been giving people the runaround. They've been giving them for 50 years. Well, now the prices are out of control. Where we've got to give people an honest price. Imagine if you went on a travel website and there were no prices for the airline flights. And the airlines argued, hey, we've got to bill you after the flight. We just don't know how much it's going to cost us. 
we'd say, give me a break. You know, that would feed price gouging in the market and people would be angry. There'd be a lot of animosity. Well, we can do better in healthcare. Most of medicine is, is non-emergent stuff. It's shoppable. It's what we call elective. And so we can do a lot better right now. And so we're trying to create billing quality measures for healthcare so that when you Google a hospital, you don't just get the name and address. You get the name, address, the average price markup above, say, a standard, and you find out what their five-star billing quality score is. So you know whether or not it's, it's they're a, a group that's going to have fair and honest billing quality with good responsive customer service or put you out to pasture and set you back financially. No kidding. And and plus, you know, you you kind of mentioned in the book too that you know they really shouldn't be sending uh notices and they're suing people and it gets very messy. Uh I guess that really hurts, doesn't it? I mean, as far as uh you're crossing a lot of ethical lines, you're trusting a healthcare system, but they're gonna sue you. You don't pay. That's it. Yeah, we discovered this practice and published it on it in our top medical journal, the Journal of the American Medical Association. And about a third of hospitals um, in the sample that we looked at were suing people in court who couldn't afford to pay the bill and then garnishing their paychecks. Can you imagine? And we identified where those paychecks were coming from. These were primarily Walmart workers, followed by food service workers, postal workers, hospital staff, like custodians in the hospital. This is a disgrace. If, if it's gotten this bad, we need to stop and completely reassess. This is a practice that violates the sacred trust in the medical profession, and it's becoming an access to, uh, issue in healthcare because 64% of Americans say they've avoided or delayed care for fear of the bill. So we've got to address this to address access. So I've gone as a pro bono expert with anyone who is sued and the offer still stands, Anyone who is sued by a hospital for a bill they can't afford, I will go to court with them wow. and I will defend them for free. And we win 100% of the time. We argue in front of those judges and we win and we're going to keep winning until we shut this practice down. My goodness. That's amazing. I don't I'm <laughs> that you do that. And um, you know something, the um, if we can go all the way to chapter 18 of your book, what can we do? Like what as far you, you mentioned a lot about what's wrong and, and people say this is an eye-opening book. Again, the book, The Price We Pay, Dr. Marty McCary, uh, What Broke American uh, Healthcare and Had to Fix It. And that people can't put this book down because they know something's wrong and it's that eye-opening. But when you get to the point of chapter 18, what can we do? Uh, is that a daily thing for you as far as you know figuring out how to fix the system and and why is it so hard to fix it? Well, first of all, I'm really excited about this book in paperback because it's the new edition and it also looks back on COVID, but nobody's interested in reading a health policy book, not even me as a health policy professor. But if you can make clear cut things you can do evident in the book in a way that people can understand them, like most businesses are getting ripped off on their healthcare benefits. They can choose differently, but they don't know how. There's massive savings there because when employers spend a lot on healthcare benefits, guess where that money comes from? It comes from wages of workers in America. And so all of the the, the ripoff of healthcare in America today is coming at the expense of 
wages for everyday workers. So they can choose differently on their health plans, their pharmacy plans. People can uh, make decisions better in terms of where they go for their health care, and they should know their rights when they go into the hospital. They should know not to sign any financial document in the emergency room. They should uh, be given tips on how to navigate the system. And also, I think if you can tell a bunch of inspiring stories of this new effort to deliver more holistic uh, relationship-based care instead of this sort of fee-for-service 10-minute visit society that we're in in medicine where we over-medicate and over-treat, I think you can navigate the health system better. And that's why I wrote the book. Well, I'm glad I'm not the only one that got confused every time you see, the, you know, the, you could take the, the premium one or the most expensive one, or you could take the, you know, HSA. It's boy, you know, it's it's hard to know what to do, but you know that you're, you're spending money on this. And um, what is the closest that you have seen as far as the repair or reform of the system? Is there any, how close are we? Uh, do you feel more hopeful with any particular administration, past or present, as far as fixing things? No, I have no confidence whatsoever in the government. See, the government mm. talks about different ways to finance the broken healthcare system, but we need to talk about how to fix healthcare. And so the government talks about, you know, different funding streams and coverage plans, but the reality is we're still paying. We're just paying in a different way. Now, I personally believe everyone should have uh, uh, healthcare in America. And we spend enough money to give everybody, every human being within our borders, luxury, great gold-plated healthcare. We already have enough, we spend enough money to do that. We just have to cut the waste. So they'll keep throwing good money after bad on a federal level at healthcare. But the reality is that it's extremely inefficient. And until we start cutting the waste and addressing over-treatment over-medicating, underlying health, allow doctors to be doctors and get rid of many of the middlemen in healthcare that are skimming money off the system. We'll throw so much money at healthcare, it'll bankrupt this country, and we still won't have everybody covered. Between throwing more money at healthcare and cutting the waste, I explain why cutting the waste is the solution. And people always tell me, well, which country in the world has the better healthcare system? What do you think about France? Show me one obese person in France, okay? True. Health is the biggest driver of healthcare spending. And if we can allow doctors to address health instead of just medicating people, I think we'd see much better outcomes. Yep. Dr. Mm -hmm. Marty McCary, our special guest, the book is called The Price We Pay, What Broke American Healthcare and How to Fix It. You can tell the book because it has a Band-Aid with Benjamin Franklin on it. That is one <laughs> way to tell uh, the book. It's out on paperback, so go get it. We're going to come back and there's a section on COVID, and he's going to talk about that right after this. Start your fragrance line and make money with BostonPerfumery.com. Design custom cologne or perfume using natural ingredients. Imagine. 10% butterscotch, 20% sandalwood, and 70% vanilla dark. Choose any scents and any percentage from the Boston Perfumery Sun Chart, then name your custom fragrance. Visit bostonperfumery.com. Again, bostonperfumery.com. Everyone deserves a signature scent. Okay, back with Dr. Marty McCary, The Price We Pay. What a book this is. What broke American healthcare and how to fix it. And uh, we know something's wrong, but uh, Dr. Marty McCary really sheds light and is such an advocate. You see him on Fox News 
and other outlets uh, talking, the Wall Street Journal. Um, you know, he has uh, solutions and I want him to run for president, just, for, you know, just me. Uh, but uh, he's happy what he's doing right now. And um, so there is a section on COVID. Uh, how has that changed the American healthcare system? How is it going to be different in the future, you think? Well, we're going to have more um, emergencies. We're going to have more health emergencies for sure. And it may not be another viral pandemic. It may be bacteria, what we call uh, antimicrobial resistant bacteria, that is bacteria that are resistant to antibiotics. That problem alone is growing each year, and it killed 100,000 people last year, about one-sixth the death toll of COVID. And it's increasing every year. It's a slow-growing pandemic. I just did a TED Talk on this titled The Next Pandemic. These are pandemics that we can address. Malaria killed 400,000 kids the year before COVID. Nobody seemed to really care. It's where the media decides to cover uh, things is where we tend to perceive that there are problems. And there are plenty of problems to go around, but it's not just COVID. And so I think one thing we need to be prepared for is the next health emergency, be it an earthquake, a hurricane, a mass shooting, viral pandemic, antimicrobial resistant uh, bacteria. We've got to have a more resilient healthcare system that's agile and can pivot quickly. Look at what happened during COVID. I describe in the book how as soon as the pandemic hit New York, Americans were asking very logical questions with their doctors. How does it spread? When are you most contagious? Mm. Do masks work? And we had no answer, zero, because the NIH with their $40 billion budget could not move quickly to do the simple research that could have been done in a week or two if you get rid of all these bureaucratic obstacles. And it's not just the government. It was the medical establishment is slow. They've got um, research review boards that meet monthly. We've got journals like the journals that reviewed our article on COVID. It took eight months to review it during the pandemic. And FDA, which takes way too long to go through their checks, they could go through all their checks without cutting corners much quicker. We can't be moving that slow. And when you do move slow, guess what happens? You have a vacuum of information. You have no answers to the American public when they are saying, how does it spread? When are you most contagious? Um, do masks work? When you have no answers, guess what? Political opinions are going to fill those gaps mm. and going to polarize this country. That's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. So you think it's a bad idea then uh, to put people in a nursing home that have COVID? Yeah, that's <laughs> that's that was a mistake. And, you know, honestly, I know we blame politicians. Where was the medical guidance on that? Right. Where was the bold statement from our public health officials at the time? Where was the statement from Dr. Fauci? saying this, you know, that would be a serious uh, risk. We have had disappointing medical leadership at many levels during the pandemic. And instead of recognizing that problem and our leaders having showing humility to say, look, we got it wrong on masks. We, we got it wrong on warning the country of the pandemic. You know, all of a sudden in middle of March last year, People are racing to the grocery store, like calling their friends. It was a frantic. Well, we we saw this thing for three months move across the world to the United States slowly. And so the idea that somehow, 
you know, it's things are fine, things are going to be fine. And then all of a sudden, you know, pull your kids out of school tomorrow. We could have done better. And where's the humility to say we got it wrong? Totally agree. And it's it because <laughs> then you're leaving like the president or, you know, the administration uh, and in the loop is, you know, they're depending on, you know, people like Dr. Fauci. There um, There is a flip flopping. Of course, where were you in all this as far as, uh, you know, were you uh, did you immediately grab the mask when COVID happened or did you ever change your opinion on some of this or did you have it right all along? So SARS-CoV-2, which is COVID-19, that's our medical name for the virus, SARS-CoV-2 spreads just like SARS-CoV-1, which is SARS from 17 years ago, aerosolized virus, airborne transmission. So I wrote the first mainstream article calling for universal masking in the United States in the spring of last year, early in the pandemic. I wrote that in the New York Times. And I said, also, we got to have a semi-open society. We can't just lock people in and shut people in home at home. When we tell people to stay at home, guess what? They're around bad ventilation and they're more likely to, you know, get the infection than if they're outside. When we told people to stay at home, we should have told them to get outside. When we told people to wash their hands like crazy, we should have told them to wear masks. Where was the humility when we got things wrong? I was warning about the pandemic before it hit. You can go back and watch the clips on CNBC where I'm begging businesses Mm. to stop non-essential travel and close down in early March before the government was saying anything. And then once it hit hard, I wrote the first piece calling for universal masking. I was warning about the fall as the cases started to rise, mentioned on Fox several times that this is the snowflake before the blizzard. This was going to be the worst uh, wave that we were going to see critical of the FDA and taking their good old time to you know, look at applications and read applications for vaccines, critical of the vaccine allocation. We should have gone by an age-based allocation system and not have all these people with wealth and power cut in line in the vaccine line after a summer conversation on Black Lives Matter. All people with wealth and access, <laughs> all these people were cutting in line. We should have just had an age-based system. And then finally, I've... Uh, as you know, in the Wall Street Journal, predicted herd immunity by late spring in time for a normal summer, and we're there. We're at a much better place now. We're not going to er- eradicate COVID, but we're at a much better place now. Thank God. Yeah, thank God. But yeah, you know, I feel you know safer. I want to take the mask right off. But I, you know, just recently, I've met maybe four people who just got COVID. Yeah. So here's the message we got to proclaim from on high: is that if you've been vaccinated or you've had COVID in the past and you've got natural immunity, which so far it appears to be just as works just as well as vaccinated immunity. If you're immune through one of those ways, live a normal life. If you're not, if you've not been vaccinated and you've not had the infection, you need to continue to be careful. COVID is going to circulate in society for a long time. We're at probably five to 10,000 cases um, by, will be there by next week a day, we're probably going to see that for most of the calendar year. It's going to circulate at very low levels. Thank goodness in healthier, younger people where the case fatality rate is much lower, but people who are not immune 
need to continue to be careful. Yeah. Dr. Marty McCary, our special guest, the book is called The Price We Pay, What Broke American Healthcare and How to Fix It. He's on all the news channels all over the place. You'll see him, Fox News, uh, Business Book of the Year by Association of Business Journalists, and it's out on paperback. Uh, can I just ask, uh, how did this affect you personally? How did it affect your your practice? Uh, are you happy the way things are now and, and how they look in the future? Well, we basically closed uh, elective surgery at Johns Hopkins for a, for a bit, and I do an elective transplant procedure, which we basically stopped doing for a while. I focused all my work on COVID. Now, I'm, I do spend most of my time anyway in public health research at the Johns Hopkins School of Public Health. And so we quickly wanted to answer the questions that nobody else was answering, Um in terms of my own family, I've got a brother and sister and my parents, uh, my sister's got um, kids and her and her husband uh, were careful. Everyone was careful. None of us got COVID. None of us got COVID. Oh we all God. made it to the vaccine finish line without the infection. And I think it was a difficult sacrifice. But once you get vaccinated, we've got to go out there and live our lives. We have not been hearing about the effects of profound social isolation, and they're real. And we've got to start getting communities rebuilt and reestablishing the human connection in American life. Well, I would be remiss not to ask you this, of course, you know, the program you're on here, uh, the Messiah Community Radio Talk Show, uh, Houses of Worship, where, you know, that really got, uh, <laughs> there are many pastors that quit being a pastor because, you know, of COVID or because of the conditions. And now, of course, um, how do you, what kind of sensitivity do you have toward people, uh, you know, who are afraid to go into houses of worship still? And what do we do? Yeah. You know, I've seen both extremes kind of, uh, rain down on policies for houses of worship. And it, it's been frustrating. Um, early on, I was arguing that we've got to move towards remote, uh, worship and, uh, distancing and universal masking. I, you know, I was very concerned that while some churches have good ventilation or can meet outdoors, some can't. And you're gathering old senior people with younger people who might be transmitting the virus. And I was very concerned. And there was this sort of arrogance about it, almost a denialism that the COVID pandemic was real. And it was fueled by a certain political rhetoric. And it was very frustrating to see that as a physician. And then on the flip end, once we got to a better place where, for example, in my local church, 80% from a survey, 80% of the folks there have been vaccinated, we got to get back together. And if you are not vaccinated, first of all, half of them have natural immunity. For the one out of 10 that's not vaccinated and does not have natural immunity, you know, they should know that they're going at their own risk. They should wear a mask and they don't have to worry like they had to a month or three months ago, because when nine out of 10 people in any room or restaurant or airplane or stadium has immunity, when nine out of 10 people blocks viral transmission, the virus can't jump around. We call that herd immunity. The term herd immunity has become politicized. But if you go to the Johns Hopkins COVID information website, it has always said that it's when a majority of the population is immune. And it's not binary. It's not all or nothing. It's gradual decrease sl slowing. 
that's exponential in the transmission. And we're there now. We've always said when we get below 10 cases per 100,000, we get back to normal. Well, we're there. We're at around three or four cases per 100,000 in most of the country, and in some places, one per 100,000. At some point, we've got to get back to normal. You must have a field day as far as, you know, from all the information that you know and research and so forth, but you're seeing contemporaries on television. And uh, does that frustrate you or the people oh who are gosh. supposed to have the answers? I mean, how do you, you, you more than anybody. And, and uh, what are some of the inconsistencies or, you know, where you just couldn't believe what you were hearing? Gosh, you know, Michael, it's so frustrating. And it's particularly frustrating when you see it impact children. That's when it just drives you bananas, right? And so when you see kids shut out of schools, and that's exactly what happened. Kids were shut out of, of, of their livelihoods and their education and their communities, unless they were wealthy, in which case country clubs had their record years. Wealthy people were renovating their homes nonstop during COVID and had private tutors and Zoom suites with great AV graphics set up for their kids. Most kids don't live like that. Come to inner city Baltimore, where my hospital is, 60% of kids drop out of school pre-COVID. Now imagine trying to get, you know keep their interest and have them learn during COVID with this kind of remote learning. It was a disgrace. What happened with the teachers' unions, the politics of fear, that was incredibly frustrating. Now, also, um, as you may know, I was a big advocate for the first dose. That is, there's two doses of the vaccine. Yes. And I was telling folks, look, we're supply constrained. We had very limited vaccines. Everyone was trying to get their hands on it. People were dying like in droves, thousands a day. We should have focused on getting people their first dose until we had enough supply for the second dose. I pushed hard for that, along with a couple other doctors nationally, wrote a piece in the Wall Street Journal and other places, pushed hard for the first dose approach. And the UK did it and saved many more lives. We could have saved tens, tens of thousands of Americans if we did it. But I was up against the old guard medical establishment that quickly dismissed study after study showing the power of the first dose. And as a result, we basically lost that battle. Myself, mm. Michael Osterholm, Ashish Shah, Bob Walker, so many of us fought. And I think what's happened is you've got a mainstream media that puts one or two doctors on every single Sunday, every oh single day. And the, when the entire country puts their faith and stock in one opinion, no matter if it's, it doesn't matter whose it is, they're not going to hear the different points of view that they should be hearing. I just got confused, you know, because he, he, people are also going by what they see out there in real life. And I think the frustration, you know, for people like me, you hear one thing on the news and another you see life lived out differently. So the two aren't exactly in sync. Well, I... I um they're not in sync. I did reach out to Dr. Fauci, um, just so you know. I, I have the highest respect for him. He's a gentleman. Yes. Um, and as you know, he is. Um, he, he is uh, truly wants what's best for this country. He loves this country, and he intends the best. I've had a very different opinion, though, of how we should have handled the pandemic. Matter of fact, a diametrically opposed strategy from what he's been putting out, and I've been frustrated by him because. He's a smart guy. He knows the tr the truth on what should be what should be out there, but he doesn't speak up. So, for example, he says earlier uh, 
uh, uh, earlier in the school year, um, last fall, that kids should be um, in school and there should, you know, they should be, school should be open free and clear. And that's what he said. And he talked about the downside of kids being shut out of school psychologically and nutrition and poorer kids. He talked about all these issues. And then the CDC comes out with draconian guidance, probably written by the teachers union. And he doesn't say anything. You got to speak up. Mm -hmm. Okay. When you see something that's not right, you need to speak up. That's the difference between politicians and doctors. And he's a doctor and shame on him. He should have said something. And it's not just that issue. It's issue after issue. When he gives these answers and interviews, he's not answering the question. That's my frustration Mm -hmm. with my friend, Dr. Fauci, who I I respect, but I have a different point of view. But you know something, you, you can see that as a media viewer. You can notice that, wait a minute, there's a difference in the confidence level at the beginning or the changing of different comments, and they flip-flop a little bit there, and then not speaking up. I mean, you can you can actually see that as a as a viewers. Let's just yeah. get to one other thing as well, if you don't mind. Uh, remote working. So now talking <laughs> about healthcare, you have employers that are saying, Hey, if you don't come back into the office, you, you get no health care. <laughs> right. Yeah, look, it's funny. If people have kids or they have a great marriage, they don't want to come to the office. They want to be with this, you know, with with the wonderful community that they've been blessed with. If they have kind of a lonely life, which is probably half of America, they live alone, or they um, are, you know, in a situation where they don't enjoy their time at home, then they want to be in a community. And I think what we're learning is an old principle of the human soul, and that is we were meant to be in communities. We were not meant to live in isolation. We were not meant to go to an empty room and be on a Peloton bike with earphones on (laughs) for hours each week. Look, there's, there's a role for that, especially if you already have community. But the idea of being in constant social isolation is one where we're seeing a backlash now. And look at the businesses that are thriving in America. We work walkable communities with commercial districts that are walkable with shopping and cafes and restaurants. It's not the suburban life. It's the walkable communities young people want. Um, it's shared services, rideshare services. It's um, anything from Groupon to group activities People are hungry for communities, and that's why we're seeing people say uh, no to the social isolation right now. Yeah, this society is going to change. I mean, it's already changing uh, for sure. It's it's amazing. And and, and uh, can you take us into the future? Yeah. A little tiny glimpse. What do you think? How do you think things are drastically going to change? Uh, you've heard it right here, Doctor Marty McCary. Go ahead. Yeah, sure. So we're going to see low levels of COVID cases for a year or two, very low levels circulate in societies. And you're going to hear about little outbreaks that are probably going to be in young people. They're going to be in unvaccinated folks, uh, a daycare center. And, you know, it may be that two, two kids test positive and they close the daycare for a week or two. That's what we've been doing with influenza for a long time. That's just good public health practice. Another good public health practice we should become accustomed to is if you're sick or you're around someone who's sick, wear a mask, uh, even if you know we're not in a pandemic. Never again should it be acceptable to show up to work, 
coughing and sneezing and slobbering, mm, yeah. sitting right next to somebody in a small room, right? It <laughs> never made sense. So I think we've got to be get back to normal, but we've learned one of the silver linings of the pandemic, some good basic public health hygiene. I think you're going to see um, the variant fear subside, you know, the public health officials dangling fear of variants. It's been out of control. I mean, just dial it down. There's been hundreds of variants and none of them have evaded the life protecting benefit of the vaccine. So I don't think we're going to need boosters unless somebody is immunosuppressed or is uh, an older American. I don't think we're going to need boosters. I think immunity is probably lifelong. We may see what we call a pan-coronavirus vaccine. That is a vaccine that protects you against all coronaviruses, not just SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19 or one variant of it. And so I think we're going to see good stuff come out of mRNA technology. We'll probably be able to develop a vaccine for HIV and other diseases. Good stuff is happening, but I think we need to prepare for the next antimicrobial pandemic through our food choices. And I talk about that in the TED Talk on the next pandemic. And I think that fall will probably look like a very mild flu season. And we need to make sure that we believe in the data and the vaccine vaccine's protective effect. It should provide lifelong immunity. We should feel good about that. And many more of these issues I get into in the in the new paperback book. Yeah, your your um, book is amazing. It's called The Price We Pay, What Broke American Healthcare and How to Fix It. Dr. Marty McCary. See, all this time I thought Bill Gates was going to solve all our problems. <laughs> and that didn't happen, you know, but I would say that to get your book, that's for sure. Now, Dr. Marty McCary is a New York Times bestselling author, leading voice for Transparency in Healthcare, the recipient of the 2020 Business Book of the Year Award for the price we pay. Sometimes I noticed that in, in looking at some of the videos, you, you, you should get some rest, Dr. McCary. <laughs> you're, you're, you're everywhere. I want you to take, you know, some orange juice and get some rest and chicken soup. And that's free advice. I won't charge you for that. Well, you know, when they say when you love your job, you never have to work another day of your life. I'm so grateful <laughs> for the opportunities I have. But yeah, I could use some more sleep. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. <laughs> your blessing it. to all of us. The book is called The Price We Pay. Dr. Marty McCary, thank you so much for being on the program. Great to be with you, Michael. Our sponsors with over 90 years experience in developing audio electronics. Bayer Dynamics stands for innovative audio products with the highest sound quality and pioneering technology. Two business divisions, consumer and installation, provide tailored solutions for professional and private users. All products are developed in Germany and primarily manufactured by hand, from headphones to microphones and conference and interpretation systems. For more information, please visit north-america.bearedynamic.com. And by Vocal Booth to Go carries a complete line of products and accessories specifically designed for voiceover actors, audio professionals, podcasters, producers, and studio owners to help them get professional results for their clients. It's your go-to place for sound treatment, soundproofing, portable, and mobile vocal booths. Visit VocalBoothToGo.com for more information. And Oralex Acoustics has one mission, to make you sound your best. Thousands of satisfied Oralex customers have experienced improved acoustics, along with free expert advice. Total sound control products from Oralex enjoy widespread use among prominent artists, producers, engineers, and corporations worldwide. Remember, it's not your gear, it's the room. Visit Oralex.com for more information. 
And great audio starts with great gear. And Zoom's 30-year reputation promises quality and affordability. Visit zoom-na.com today for recorders, audio interfaces, effects pedals, and more. We're Zoom, and we're for creators.